Amen, amen. All right. Let's get started this morning. The book of Joshua, chapter 23, please. Joshua, chapter 23. And if I can ask all of you to please pray for a family in our church. They've just recently started uh, coming this side. They've been with us a few months, but uh, Tani Ronell, her husband James, he passed away a couple days ago. Is it uh, yesterday morning? So if you would, please keep uh, Tony Ronell and that family in your prayers. The, the funeral will be sometime next week. And uh, those of you that are first responders in our church, I will be letting you know about the funeral and the arrangements and the, the food and the dishes and all that stuff. Just be aware that we'll be making those plans. All right, Joshua chapter 23. Uh, Caleb, do you mind just turning me up a little bit? My voice isn't as good today. Joshua 23 and verse 11. Now, folks, we're, we are going to look at a lot, a lot of Scripture today. Um, must admit, this is more than I've probably ever put into one sermon. I'm not apologizing. I'm just warning you. <laughs> keep, keep your Bibles handy. I'd like to preach to you for a few minutes. And this is an unorthodox sermon for a few reasons. Number one, all the Scripture that we're going to see. But uh, this, the name of the sermon is The Last Missionary. I want to be the last missionary ever. <laughs> uh, now that, that's a bold uh, proclamation, right? And unrealistic. I don't expect that to, to happen. However, however, when it comes to South Africa, I would like to. Man, wouldn't it be wonderful in a perfect world if I was the last missionary that this nation would ever have? And I'm not saying that as any kind of personal greatness for myself. It's not like I'm, I'm the end all, break the mold. But I believe what you're going to see today in the Bible is God has devised a plan so that after a missionary is sent to a place, that should be it. They shouldn't need a consistent stream of missionaries coming into a land for three or four hundred years as you've had in South Africa. And that's why I say, would to God, I would be the last missionary. So by the grace of God, we're going to learn something today from these stories. Let's bow our heads, if you would, and let's ask God to help us. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of singing these songs. Thank you for the victory we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that simple but wonderful song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. God, we're, we're opening your word now. We're asking that you please guide us into all truth. Please anoint my lips. Oh, God, help me to preach as a dying, men, a dying man to dying men, never sure to preach again. Please, Father, help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 23, verse number 11. Joshua is nice and old at this point, about 110. And he, this is his farewell speech to the nation. In verse 11, he says, Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye you love the Lord your God. Else, if ye do in any wise, go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, yeah. until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Joshua's warning them, God's going to give you the land. You're going to have victory. 
Be careful you don't compromise. Joshua said, you folks need to make a commitment to the Lord. And when I say love the Lord your God, I mean with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, which means you cannot share it with the world. Verse 14, and behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. He's going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed you of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you and not one thing hath failed thereof. Isn't that tremendous? Joshua said every promise that God gave us, every single one of them worked out the way God said, he, said it would. Now can't you say that in your life? Have, have you, now if you read your Bible... If you read your Bible and pay attention, you get to see God do the things that he's written in the Bible. And it builds your, your faith and your confidence in God because one promise after another gets fulfilled. But that only happens if you're reading and paying attention. In verse 15, he says, Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things, until he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Joshua knows these people. They have made a commitment and he's going to ask them to make another one just now. But he knows these folks, they don't like to stick with it. They're in it for the short term. They're fine. They'll follow God as long as the leader is following God. But to have their own gumption their own personal commitment to say, Lord, I'm in this for the long term. They lacked that. So Joshua 24, verse number 15. Uh, can we start in verse 14? Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. They had gods just after the flood happened. People began to worship various gods. And some of those old, old gods were still hanging around amongst the Israelites. They've been out of Egypt now for 70 years. And they're still hanging on to some of these old, traditional, ancestral gods. Still hanging on to it. God's brought them through the Red Sea, brought them through the wilderness. They're in the promised land, been there 30 years. And still, they have a little bit of God and a little bit of the world, and they're mixing it together. Joshua says, guys, I'm about to die, but if you don't get rid of this compromising attitude, you're not going to make it as a nation. In verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Amen, Brother Joshua. Preach it, man. Preach it. Amen, Joshua. I like this black and white stuff. He says, black and white, up and down, heaven and hell. Make a clear-cut choice. Bless God. Quit living in the middle. Quit living on the fence. If you live hot one day and cold the next, you're going to end up lukewarm. And he says, now make a choice. If you want to serve those other gods, bless God. Be a good pagan. Go full-blown. Be a really good pagan. Turn your back on God. Look up to heaven right now and say, God, I have no reason to serve you. I'm going to live for the world. Joshua says, choose. If it's, if it's an evil thing to you, if it's a burden to you to serve the Lord, then quit. 
You don't hear that in Sunday morning services, do you? (laughs) He says, if it's so bad, quit coming to church and complaining about it. Just stop coming. You see, the problem is the church is getting too full. We need more space. (laughs) So I'm trying to get rid of the riffraff. (laughs) Amen, Tony, isn't it? That's how we do it around here. That's how we do it. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, you know this part, don't you? We will serve the Lord. He says, we're not going to have any of this little G gods stuff. For me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're all in. We're 100% for Jehovah. We're not going to mix in some Canaanite culture. We're not going to take in some Babylonian garments. Those of you that were in Sunday school, we looked at that this morning. He said, we're all in for God. 100%. Kind of sounds like Elijah. You remember what Elijah when he went up against the 450 prophets of Baal, and then he made them a non-profit organization. <laughs> he went up against them, and, and he said, if Baal's God, serve him. And if the Lord is God, serve him. But choose. Quit acting like you can do both. Get in, get out. Be cold, be hot. But one thing the Lord despises is a lukewarm church. A compromising, tolerating church. That's the kind of church you want that church to close down. This is how history's always worked. It starts with a man. A man shows up and brings the message and brings the truth of God to that place. That man, people get convinced of what he's saying. It turns from a man into a movement. And, and now that group goes out and starts to tell other people the truth. And as long as the process stays like that, The man turns to a movement. The movement is filled with individual people continuing to proclaim that truth. You see, and as soon as you have a group of people doing it, it's a movement. And as long as we stay there, we're good. But here's what happens. It goes from man to movement to machine. And people forget why they are repeating the message. They they forget why we do what we do. They keep coming to church, but they have no idea why. They have no idea what is the purpose of a church. Is it a social club? Is it so you can make connections with friends, you know, and pull a few strings here and there? What's the purpose of it? To be entertained? To make you feel good about yourself? To help you find your identity? (laughs) Whatever that is. We've lost sight of what's the purpose. Why did God organize the nation? Why did God organize a church? What are we aiming at verse 16 the people answered and said God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods now that's a little bit funny almost because they have yet to forsake all of their other gods so this tells me something they know what to say they don't mean it and Joshua's going to call them on it he's not going to let him get away with this he says okay that sounds real good Oh, God forbid. Oh, heavens, no. We would never, never would we compromise. Only the Lord, only the Lord would we serve. 
Verse 17, for the Lord is our God. He it is that brought us up out of the, uh, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. Well, they, they know it. They know the history. Verse 18, the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will, uh, therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, any pastor would be happy with that, right? Man, I'd love to hear you folks stand up and say, we're going to serve God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. No more Egypt for us. No more Canaanite nonsense for us. No more worldly behavior. I would say praise God. Not Joshua, verse eight, uh, 19, Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord. <laughs> well, we're gonna serve God. No, you're not. <laughs> you can't. You can't do it. Wow, what a statement. What honesty. What honesty. You cannot serve the Lord. Why, Joshua? For he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Is that the God you know? Man, Joshua says God's not going to forgive you. Why? Because in their current state, they got Jehovah on one hand and a false God on the other. And they, th they think they can get away with the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing. Joshua said, in that condition, you can't serve the Lord. This is exactly what Jesus told his disciples, right? Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're hanging on to that old life. You're hanging on to those Egyptian ways, to those Canaanite ways, to the ways of the world. And Joshua says, you can't serve God like that. God's not going to have mercy on a people like that. So what does Joshua do? Verse 23. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. He said, folks, you need to make a commitment. You're either all in or all out. Halfway is not service to God. It's just not. So verse 24, the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. He writes it down and he says, guys, here's the commitment you've made. Now, Judges chapter 1, if you just, you might have to turn the page. Judges chapter 1 and verse 28. Joshua has passed away and the people, there's still work to be done in the promised land. They're in Canaan now and they still need to claim some of the land. They haven't driven out all of the, the pagans from that land like God commanded. So Judges 1 and 28, it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Folks, do you understand the mistake that they're making? What did Joshua tell them? Drive those people out. If you allow them to stay, they will be scourges in your sides, thorns in your eyes. They are going to be a snare unto you if you try to compromise with them. Israel had power. God was on their side. They could have achieved what God wanted them to achieve, but they chose the easy way out. Let's make friends with the world so that everybody likes us. Verse 29, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, 
but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, neither the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Compromise, compromise, compromise. Verse 31, Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Achlub, nor of Achzib, nor of Helba, nor of Aphek, nor of Rehob, but the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. They're not doing everything God told them to do. They're in the land, and they're being friendly. Let's just get along. Verse 33, Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Bathanath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of, the ba and of Bathanath became tributaries unto them. They said, well, we are making use of them. Yes, God told us to drive them out, but listen, they make good slaves. So we'll keep them around. There was a reason God said drive them out. They weren't willing Verse 34, but the Amorites forced, watch this, they forced the children of Dan into the mountain for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. Not only did Dan not drive out the enemy, the enemy became stronger than them and caused the Danites to run up into the top of the mountain and wouldn't let them come down. You see, if you allow them to stay, eventually they'll get power over you. Verse 35, but the Amorites would dwell in, the, in, in Mount Heras, in Ijalon, and in Shelbim. Yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. Compromise, compromise, compromise. So chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Please look at the end of verse 2. I want you to see the question. Why have you done this? Folks, I want you to see that because that won't be the last time you hear that question. I promise you, there'll be another time you hear it when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment and he says, here's what I told you to do. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what I told you to do. You, instead of doing that, you compromised and you made friends with the world and you were the most popular person in school and at your workplace and in town you had a good reputation but you failed me and I want to ask you now and he puts his finger right in your face and says why did you do that? Today you don't have to answer that question but one day you will. That angel said why? Why have you failed? I promised that I would never, never fail you. Now, what is it about me that has caused you to say God's not that great? I think these pagans are pretty awesome. 
Let's keep them around, even though it offends God greatly. Why have you done this? Please, if you would, tell the Lord what he did wrong. That would cause you not to give 100% effort to him. In verse 3, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, verse 4, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. Have you ever seen that happen in a church? Where the whole church just got broken hearted over their lukewarm condition and said, God, we've offended you. We are not accomplishing the purpose that you tasked us with You told us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You told us to make disciples. And each individual say, I failed to do my part in that great commission. So much so, not that you just walk out and go, yeah, the preacher told the truth today. Grabs a hold of your heart and breaks it so that the tears start to flow. In verse number six, or five rather, it says they called the name of that place Bochum and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. They renamed the place. The word bokum means weepers, those that cry, because so many people realized how much they had failed. Now that was bad, but it gets worse. In verse 6, when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. So let's get the timing right. You're going to see in verse number 8, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Joshua, they had been in the land for about 30 years, okay? So if you count the days back, that means, you remember Israel walked in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they've been in the land for 30 years, or 70 years there, he died at 110. So we can count backwards a little bit using that. You also remember that all the Israelites, the age of 20 and over, died as they walked in the wilderness. You remember that? God sent the, they, they sent the spies, the spies brought back an evil report and God said you're going to walk for 40 years and anybody over the age of 20 will die in that time so the people that are still alive they were let's say 15 years old when that wilderness trek began so 15 and they walked for 40 years that makes them 55 when they get into the land 30 more years Joshua's dead that makes them 85 and then let's say they live to the same age as Joshua that's another what, 35 years, 25, 35 years, somewhere in there. So you understand, this is not an immediate thing. After Joshua died, all those other elders that, they were a little younger, but they had seen all the miracles in Egypt and the Red Sea part and the manna come down. They had seen all of that. And as long as those guys were around, they were telling the people of that generation, here's what God did. Verse number nine, they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Haris in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, 
which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works of the Lord, or the works which he had done for Israel. Guys, verse 10 is actually the heart of my sermon. That's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about. Israel had made a commitment. We will serve the Lord. That commitment is useless if it is not coupled with faithfulness. Because if you make the commitment today, that sounds good. But then when you meet the Canaanites, Girgashites, Amorites, and compromise, what good was the commitment? We have got to have faithfulness over the long term. Understanding the long-term goal. We don't want this generation to be successful that is drawing nigh to God. Wombs, tannies, moms and dads, we want our children to be able to know God. We want them to know how to serve the Lord and how to get a prayer answered. We don't need more 40 and 50-year-old people that have never heard of any of the Bible stories. We need people in their 15, in their teenage years and in their 20s that know the Bible and know why they come to church and know how to serve the Lord and know how to win another person to Christ. How is it that we as a church have gotten to the point, and I say church, I'm talking the body of Christ, where you can take somebody that comes to church every Sunday Bring a sinner to them and say, Sir, you come every Sunday. Please tell this person how to go to heaven. And the answer you get is, uh, they don't know what to say. Why is it that we can have one generation that knows the Lord, but then the next one, after that generation dies out, the next generation rises up and they don't know the Lord? How did this happen? God built in a program. He put laws in place to prevent this. Let me show you what he did. Come to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 18. Folks, this is exactly what has happened with the church. What happened to Israel happens with the church. A missionary comes and he says, folks, here's the Bible. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how, you, here's how you perform the ministry. He sets up a church and everybody says, yes, amen, praise God. We're learning something now. We're off and running. We know what to do. Missionary dies. And the people that walked with that missionary, they keep the church going as long as they can, but eventually enough time goes by. People continue to go through the motions, but they forget. Why are we doing this? This isn't popular. Everybody in town doesn't like this. Why are we doing this? And if you don't know why you're doing it, it's very easy to then compromise and say, let's just make them happy. Because I don't know why this is making God happy. And you lose sight of the purpose. So you know what happens? It goes man, movement, machine, and eventually the church turns into a monument. It reminds us of something that happened long ago, generation ago, but there's really nothing going on there now. Before long, they'll knock the monument down and it will become nothing but materialism again. You know what'll happen? God will say, missionary, come back. He'll, he'll call another missionary and say, go back to that place. We gotta start all over again. 
How is it, guys, in South Africa, you've been having missionaries for a few hundred years. Why is it that we, in and of ourselves, as South Africans, are not able to send out trained, God-loving, Bible-knowing, Holy Spirit-obeying, anointed preachers to pastor churches throughout this land so that we can evangelize black, white, Indian, Muslim, Hindus, we can reach them all. Why is it that we're failing to do that? What went wrong We keep having generation after generation pop up and they don't know the Lord. Somebody failed in this program. Deuteronomy 6, I believe believe it starts at home. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 6. Can I read you verse 5? Deuteronomy 6, 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Where does it start? Moms, dad, dads, teach your kids. You learn the Bible and then you teach your kids. Chapter 6, verse 18. God had set up several special days throughout the year for a Jew. They called them feast days. On the Passover, all the Jews had to come together. On the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all come together. Tabernacles, they all come together. Why did they have these memorials? Why do we have the Lord's Supper? Why do we have baptism? In the New Testament, that's what we have. They had all these feast days. Why? Verse 18, And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Paul, can you explain the Bible to me? Do you know how heartbreaking it is that there are a number of dads in this country that don't know how to open a Bible and show their children why they believe what they believe. First line of defense, teach them at home. We failed. That's why the next generation, they graduate from university and they have no idea why they go to church, so they they quit. They just stop. Verse number 21, Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen, in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes and he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. You know what the dad explains to the son? Here's how God saved us. Do you know how to tell your kids how God saved you? Have you ever told them the story of how you got saved? Can you sit down and say, we're going to obey the Bible because... And don't tell them because Opa did it. Bless old Paul's heart. I'm sure he was a great guy, but that's not enough. (laughs) We're going to do it because this is what God's commanded and this is the outcome. Look uh, look a little further. Deuteronomy 31. 
Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 9. Now Moses, he's getting things ready for his soon departure. He's getting Joshua ready to take over. In verse 9, it says, Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord and unto all the elders of Israel. He gave it to their leaders. So the first line of defense is in the home. Moms and dads, teach your kids. In a perfect world, that would be enough. Yes, amen? Okay, in a perfect world, that would be enough. Mom and dad would get discipled And then as they raised their kids, they would teach them Christian virtues and Christian doctrine. And then as those kids become adults, they would already know. See? So in a perfect world, that's enough. But this isn't a perfect world. So Moses, he writes down everything that they need and and he gives it to the leaders of the religious sphere of Israel. Verse 10 Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, that was the big one, when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall, uh, in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children and thy stranger that is within thy gates. Those are people that came to visit Israel. That they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law and that their children, watch verse 13, watch it. Are you looking at it? Please look at it. And that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land whither you go over Jordan to possess it. Why do you gather together every seven years and read the whole law, the whole Torah, all five books of it? Why would you do that? So that you can learn and fear God. I'll give you a shorter way to say that, so that you can know the Lord. What happened in the book of Judges? Another generation arose that didn't know the Lord. You know what that tells me? They didn't do this. They didn't do this. They had all the information And they were supposed to read it for everyone. Moms and dads at home were supposed to be doing it so that the next generation would know. The next generation didn't know. They failed. This is exactly, I believe, why we continually have to have missionaries going back and back and back to the same place. Because it's good as long as Joshua's alive, but as soon as Joshua passes on, it just fizzles out until another missionary shows up and starts it all over again. Take your Bible, come to Matthew chapter 28. I know that you know this verse, but I'd love for you to see it. Matthew 28. Now, I believe I've presented to you the problem with Israel and and why they failed. I hope that that's clear. And I'm going to switch gears a little bit, okay? I'm speaking generally of why there are so many missionaries that continually have to go out. But as Paul said to the Corinthian church, I'm going to say to you, I have confidence in you in all things. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. 
The Corinthians had their problems and they still needed to learn a lot, but Paul said, I have confidence that you're going to get it right. And I also, and I mean this, we still have our problems and we still need to get things right and fix things up and we're going to keep working on them. But I have confidence that we can achieve the purpose that God's given us. I do. I have confidence in you folks here in this church and this service this morning that we can tackle the Great Commission and God can give us victory in this. I believe that. I'm not pessimistic about this. I don't think, well, once I go, it's all done. Not if we pay attention. Not if we do this right. You see, this is long-term planning. I'm not expecting any immediate results this morning. I'm expecting results 50 years from now. I'm planting some seeds very deep in the ground so that after I'm dead and buried, as they told me in Malawi, dead and buried, dead and buried, after I'm gone, then the next generation just picks up the flag and keeps on going. And then when they die out, they have done their job and the next generation picks up the flag and keeps on going. See? But we've got to get that thing started now. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Oh, Lord, that's a big, big responsibility. How do we do it? That's why he said at the end of the verse, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I believe when he said unto the end of the world, he meant two things. Time and geography. <laughs> I don't care where we take the gospel in this world, Jesus will escort us, he'll be there with us, and I don't care how long this job takes, until the world ends, Jesus is going to help his people accomplish this. That's our task, church, to make disciples, to take it into all the world. Now, how does this start? It starts with a missionary showing up saying, here you go, folks, here's, let me give you some foundation in the Bible let me show you how this works. These are your responsibilities. This is how you get it done. This is how you should treat your wife. This is how you treat your husband. This is how you treat your kids. This is how you should uh, uh, perform at work, school. Here's, here's what the Bible says about these things, right? Isn't that what he said? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. Not just here's how you get saved, all things. Did you know Jesus preached about money? Did you know that? Okay, like seven of you know that. He, he preached about money. He preached about marriage. He preached about lots of stuff beyond just the kingdom of heaven. So now he says, you guys pass this on generation to generation to generation. God help us if the next generation doesn't, that, that springs up from this church, doesn't know the Lord personally. Take your Bible, come to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. Paul's speaking to a young, young man who's getting into the ministry. 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And he says here, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. You know what this tells me? Timothy came to church regularly Timothy heard Paul preaching in a public context do you see where I'm getting that in verse 2 
the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Not only the private advice that he gave Timothy as they walked together because they, they did spend private time together, but he says, Timothy, everything I've taught, the things thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to what kind of men? Faithful men. What did I tell you in the beginning? It's great to make a commitment, but without faithfulness, it, what's the purpose? You can stand and say, we'll do it. We'll serve the Lord. And Joshua says, no, you can't. Not if you're going to compromise. Not if you're just going to do it halfway. It won't work. The world will sneak into the church and shut it down eventually. You got to do it right and stick with it. The same commit thou to faithful men. Watch the last part. Who shall be able to teach others also? What's the program? Paul, missionary, trains Timothy. Timothy, get you some faithful men, teach them. Faithful men, we want you to teach others also. And as those faithful men are teaching others also, do you see how the, the process starts all over again? The faithful man who's teaching others, he has become the Apostle Paul. He has taken on that role. That's what we can do here. Say, but Brother Mike, I am not that good at teaching. Got you covered. Don't worry. I'm going to give you a plan to take care of that. Every single one of you, I don't care how old you are, you can disciple somebody. All of you. All of you. If you are not being discipled by someone, right, then you need to be the one discipling. Does that make sense? And to be honest, both can happen at the same time to a certain extent because we're always learning, all of us. Watch how this goes. You say, but Brother Mike, I can't sit down with those Bible lessons that you've put in the book. I, 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 I can't teach that stuff. Can you invite somebody to your house for coffee, spend 45 minutes to an hour with them and say, let's listen to the lesson off of a CD and go through the book together? Can you do that? I bet you could do that. You know what the lessons are in that discipleship book we use? Things that a Christian ought to know. Give you a nice, firm foundation in the Scripture so that when you open the Bible, it's not a strange and a foreign book to you. But guys, that book is not all there is to discipleship. Aren't you supposed to love one another as Christ loved us? Is there a lesson in the discipleship book about that? Nope. There isn't. And I know that. Say, as Christians, we're supposed to care about people. We're supposed to make time for people. There's no, there's no lesson for that in the book. So how are we going to learn to do it? You do it. I just taught you the lesson right there in the last 10 seconds. <laughs> That's all the teaching you need. The rest of it is practical. You don't need much theory for that. Watch what happens. You go to a person, you say, listen, I'm not so good with explaining it all but I really do care about you. And I would love to help you get grounded in the Bible. I would love to see you get to know the Lord better. Can I share with you some things that really helped me get started in the Christian life? Would you like to go out for a coffee just once a week? Would you come to my house? Let's just take one hour a week. We'll listen to the lesson together. And then afterwards, we can talk about it. And in so doing, you are making time for that person. You've shown that person that you've cared. You're loving them as Christ loved us. You're going out of your way to change their life. Pretty soon you get to know that person on a personal basis. You've developed a friendship. 
And that friendship is centered on the Word of God and on Jesus Christ. Just one at a time. Can you do that? Some of you are well able to teach the lessons yourself. You know what's going to happen after you do this with two or three or five or ten people? You've heard the lesson so much, you're going to be able to teach it. And you're going to sit down with someone and they're going to say, but what about this and what about that? And you'll say, no problem. I've heard these answers before. I've been asked these things before. Here's how you handle it. And the student becomes the teacher. One of the jobs of the church in Ephesians 4 is for the pastor to teach you the work of the ministry, not for the pastor to do all the work in the ministry. So as, as, as well-intentioned as I might be to say, guys, send all your students to me. I'll teach them on Tuesday nights. I would be hindering the work of God. Here's what I'd rather do. Give you the material and you take it upon yourselves to make time to disciple somebody. When you meet a question you don't know what to do with, come and ask. More than welcome. Say, what about the advanced stuff? Bring them this way. We'll help each other. We'll help each other with those things. Don't you worry, but take it upon yourself to pass the knowledge of God on to the next generation. Can you do that with one person? Can you do it with one? Imagine going to get them every Sunday morning saying, let me show you how important it is to be faithful to church. Here, let me swing by your house Saturday, pick you up for prayer meeting and bring you to that. That's where we're going to learn how to pray. Hey, we had a lesson on witnessing. Let me come Saturday, pick you up. I'll take you out in church-wide soul winning. And then you get to serve God with somebody. And then the Christian life gets very exciting. Very exciting. Guys, I have two lists for you today. I have one list. This one says, to be discipled. And underneath it says, I want to learn. And I got several blank spaces. I'm going to leave this one right over here if the wind doesn't take it first. And then I got another list on this side. And this one says, to disciple, I want to lead. Whichever list applies to you, after we're done here, we're not going to have a huge altar call. I, I haven't planned for that anyway. But I would like to invite you, after we're done with the service, if you would like to be discipled, please g give us your name and phone number. Would you do that? And if you feel as if you're ready to disciple someone else, could you please sign up on this list? Give us your name and number. Because if we're going to get the gospel out and make disciples the way Jesus told us to do it, eventually you folks are going to need to teach others also. By the grace of God, I'll keep doing my part. But now I'm asking you to do yours. Do you see now why I say I want to be the last missionary? Because if we get this going and you learn how to disciple people, then that means it's not just one man, there's 50 people passing on the information and pretty soon that multiplies and multiplies. You don't need another missionary to come and start it again. You know what will happen? God will start choosing men out of South Africa and sending them to other places in the world saying you guys go be missionaries go show them how this works but it has to start with us let's all stand if you would please let's stand have our heads bowed and eyes closed
And I, I would like to ask you to pray with me for just a moment. Would you do that? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm asking you to make a commitment. But I'm also asking you to follow through with that commitment. I understand that maybe you've never taught anyone and that, that's a little uncomfortable. Well then, if you're not ready to be taught, or ready to teach rather, be taught. We got two lists. I'm, I'm sure that your name could fit on one of these lists. I want you to just pray about it now. Say, God, which list do I belong on? Say, Brother Mike, I'm a busy, busy person. I don't have time. Uh, make time. Cancel something else. I'm not trying to be selfish. I just know how important this is. I have great confidence in this church. I know there's so many of you out there. You have so much to offer a younger Christian. They could learn so much from you. You just need to take that next step to get involved. See, I don't feel ready. You know, you'll kind of learn as you go. But get going. As soon as we close the service, these lists are available. Please take just a moment. I know there's only one paper and one pen, but take just a moment. Wait 10 seconds if you have to, but get your name on one of these lists. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts, speaking to my heart, Lord. It, it, it can get very tiring, God. Very tiring. Lord, I want to do the best I can for you. You deserve that. But Father, I also believe that this church could do a lot. Lord, I think the best I can do is to get out of their way. Lord, you know I'm not trying to slow down the work you want done. I'm, I'm trying to make it solid so that it lasts from generation to generation. Please, please, God. Those that need to be taught, God, let them come forth today and, and make that commitment to be taught. Those that need to teach, Lord, let them take that step today. Let them make that commitment. Father, thank you so much for giving us something to talk about. For giving us a Savior that delivered us from our bondage. Brought us up out of our Egypt. And you've shown us how to live every part of it. Thank you for changing our lives. We don't want to forget that quickly. Help us, Lord, to pass that on. We ask all this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.